Stay tuned. Eastside Radio, 89.7 FM. Welcome to Breaking Waves. I am Riley. And I'm John Mark. We just had a clip from Blade Runner, the 2017 sequel, and that was Harrison Ford there talking about strangers. Because sometimes strangers aren't scary monsters, but there's actually a nobility and a good intention within being a stranger. Yeah, sometimes strangers are heroes and saviours in... in our lives and in our storytelling. So in this, the third and final episode of our Outsider series, John and I are going to be continuing and finishing up a conversation about our own experiences with being outsiders in various ways. Yeah, last week we uh, talked about our own personal uh, experience after leaving school. Now we're going to bring you up to present day pretty much. Yeah, and finish our our stories related to aliens and feeling alienated. And how disabling our conditions can be. So, John, as you were telling us last week, about 15 years ago, you ended up in hospital after having a very serious stroke. Indeed, I had a catastrophic uh, brain injury uh, as a result of that stroke. I... Um, have damaged um, occipital lobes, which is the part of the brain that uh, handles vision and visual perceptions. John, this must have been a totally earth-shattering experience. How did you cope with this this information, this uh, reality that you woke up to? Yeah, you'd think it would be pretty depressing uh, information. Um, but actually, I was quite euphoric. Um, which is strange, but it mirrors the experience of a a famous uh, neuroscientist. Jill Bolt-Taylor. Yeah, she did a a TED Talk talking about her um, stroke and how how that affected her. And I had a similar experience. I was, um, yeah, weirdly euphoric and optimistic about the future, Um, even though I couldn't see and I couldn't actually walk to start with. Um, so how did this optimism like manifest? Like what kind of thoughts were you having? Um, it's, uh, well, I spent a, a month in hospital and I did s- some, um, they, they gave me a lot of physical tests, but there wasn't really much rehab to do with my vision. Um, they gave me some uh, exercises with uh, letters and stuff but um it wasn't really till after i left hospital um and entered the world and Mm. tried to uh cope with 
uh, living on my own. Well, I wasn't on my own, actually. I was with my parents to start off with um, for a while, but I, st- I still had to deal with um, my condition. Uh, but I didn't. I wasn't depressed by it. Um, I, I actually tra- did a bit of travel uh, a couple of years after it happened. It's um, remarkable. Yeah, I went to Thailand and crawled around the streets there for four weeks on my own. I um, and I've done all kinds of other things. Um, started uh, martial arts and um, studied electronics engineering and and built amplifiers and audio devices and done soldering, which is pretty difficult when you can't see very well. So it hasn't really stopped me. Um, so uh, bringing it back to when you're in hospital, John, what were the um first things that you had to learn how to do to um to adjust to this new way of being well uh, initially i seemed to be completely blind uh, and i remember waking up um and being told that i was blind um i was actually hallucinating um when i woke up and i thought i was in a forest um and tried to go to the stream and got out of bed and ripped all of the the tubes out of me and alarms went off and, and I remember hearing a, a nurse's voice saying, uh, it's okay, you're in hospital, you've had a stroke and you can't see. Um, yeah, so that month I spent in hospital, um, I was really under observation for most of that time. There wasn't really anything therapeutic that was happening aside from some... Uh, reading exercises and like uh, letter identification and identifying shapes you know I, I couldn't really tell the difference between a, a circle and an oval or a rectangle and a square and I still can't now mm. I actually have to deal with that now when I'm reading and trying to um, interpret written stuff well it's a testament to your self-determination as a person that you have improved in um, the areas that you have because not everyone would, I would think. Yeah, I, I didn't really start reading till much later in life, I guess, than, than maybe other people do. I, I got off to a slow start, but I, I was um, an avid reader. Of, um, I mainly liked um, non-fiction, actually, science-related stuff and textbooks and um, loved that stuff, devoured it. And so I had a real need to um, to use and to um, relearn or regain the ability to read if I could. And that's a very slow process for me. It, um, it's got to a point now where it's, I'm, I'm quite a good reader. You're smashing novels quicker than me when, when you are reading them. It's, yeah. yeah, it's mainly just a light thing, and um, it also requires a lot of concentration for me too. Yeah. I have to use actually aids. I use my fingers and, yeah. and cards and stuff, so I, I don't get lost on. Don't get you've got a process? Yeah, I, I, my eyes wander from off the line, and I get lost on the page. You know, I've explained how I get lost environmentally sometimes out and about. That's what Riley helps me um, when we go out, so I don't get lost. Well, the same thing happens to me when I'm on a page of written text or looking at a picture, actually. Um, I see the world um, in, like, stop-frame sort of pictures, and it takes me a while. It's a process for me seeing now 
whereas uh, normal sight's pretty instantaneous. You look and you see stuff. Whereas for me, I uh, takes me a while to work out what I'm looking at. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit of a process. So my reading process now is a bit different uh, to the way people normally read. Uh, normally, we recognize words when we read sentences and then we move on to the next word. And I didn't have any ability to do that. I still don't really. Um, I have to read letter by letter and then work out what that's spelling uh, and then I move on. So it's a bit of a different process and it did take some time to get used to and um, also requires a lot of concentration so I get uh, quite fatigued and that's another thing that... Um, uh, plus the light sensitivity thing and, um, you know, I have to use enlargers sometimes in order to see stuff. So it's it's a bit more complicated but it's entirely doable if I have the right uh, visual aids on hand. Talking about these topics can be, it can bring up a lot of emotion and this next tune is quite an emotional one that John has selected. It's Hurt by Johnny Cash. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away in the end and you could have it all Upon my liar's chair Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end 
So that was Johnny Cash with a song called Hurt, where he explored some themes of uh, pain and self-harm, and uh, he was the man of black, and I was reading about him last night. Um, Apparently he said that he wore his black clothes in mourning for all the lives that could have been. An outsider, if there ever was one. Yeah, he bet. He he had an interesting life, and he had his dramas and um, his struggles for sure. But made music right up until the end. That was uh, made in, in in later in his life, not long before he died. Yeah. So the time I spent in hospital, what I didn't realize at the time was they were observing me and checking me to see if I had any strange uh, conditions which happen to people when they have brain injuries. Um, there's a guy named Oliver Sacks who's a doctor um, who did a, little, a lot of uh, clinical work with uh, people with uh, neural brain injuries and he, uh, I think one of his books was The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, I think, and um this is uh, an example of uh, the strange things that can happen to people. I know that I've also read that um, people sometimes don't recognize their own body parts as belonging to themselves. They'll think that it's actually somebody else, if asked. Uh, people also can ignore, um, say, their one side of their body, uh, just comb one side of their hair and leave the other side messy. Uh, so I think they were watching me for all of this range of uh, symptoms. Um, I didn't present anything weird like that, but um, and the only real rehab I had was with the reading and yeah. the uh, the shaped kind of stuff that they did with me. Um, the uh, you know I've read a lot of books about um, neuroscience and about uh, brain science and the current understanding of the plastic nature of, of our uh, operation of our brains and how it can remap and that certainly happened for me I think that um, I've started to grow more connections between the two sides of uh, my brain because only one side sees now and it's the right side the left side the language side the comprehension uh, conceptual logic planning side of our brains uh, of my brain is blind it sees nothing um, and it has to get all of its information from the other side the emotional side the side that deals with the present and our responses to fight and flight and uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, adrenaline <laughs> no, adrenaline's one of the things that makes it happen, absolutely. Adrenochrome. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, um, 
natural impulses to do stuff, intuition, yeah. not intuition, instinct. That was the word I was looking for. Um, our responses to stuff uh, the, that happen automatically. Um, this is right brain stuff. Mm. And um, I've since um, learned a whole lot of conditions I have <laughs> that um, a lot of these things are defined in the literature. Um, and they're basically all a, a kind of agnosia, um, which is a, a disability with perception. And there are all different kinds of agnosia. There's uh, social and emotional agnosia, which is um, tied to uh, the inability to recognize faces. Um, it's a problem with uh, body language and interpreting people's meaning from the unspoken forms of communication. Um, there's uh, prosopagnosia, that's the inability to recognize faces. Um, cerebral akinon. <laughs> which is um, the inability to perceive motion and that's one that really messes with me and why I need Riley constantly to help me out when I'm out in the world um, because things that move disappear because I see in this weird snapshot sort of still uh, still one frame after another um, I have things appear and disappear all the time which uh, get, can get quite dangerous out in the world where I've got to deal with traffic and uh, people and poles and dogs and little kids and stuff All of like the that. hazards. Yeah. So Riley, my guide, he, he helps me navigate that, that territory and also my uh, seeing-eye dog, Ivy. Um, she's the second dog I've had. Uh, my last dog, Angie, which I got, uh, into, I got her in 2007, a couple of years uh, after the event. Um, and that was, that was a life-changing thing, um, getting a dog, getting a guide dog. Um, it was amazing company. And um, also uh, her ability to... Uh, basically, it's her instinct that... Um, that saves me. I mean, she, I don't have the the uh, ability to dodge stuff, and she does. She's always looking out for uh, cars and people, and um, so she's uh, and she also remembers how to get places, which is fantastic as well. Um, she only has to go to places a couple of times, and I can just tell her where I want to go, and she'll remember the whole route, you know which way to turn at what street and uh, where we get on the bus. And um, she also knows uh, quite a lot of um, uh, words. She she finds the button to cross the road and she can find bus stops and she can find doors when I can't work out how to get into buildings. Although we have a lot of trouble with glass doors in buildings that have uh, a lot of glass panelling because she can't work out that a glass door is actually a door. It looks like a window to her. So I've actually been stuck outside a lot of buildings and had to give up and go home because I couldn't work out how to get into them. Yeah, so there's a condition called environmental agnosia, which is basically um, a navigational problem. And that's why Ivy is uh, a huge help because she can help me navigate um, environments and um, I think people have different ways of navigating some people have actually the ability to have um, maps inside their heads I've always been good like that and I think that serves me well now uh, and other people navigate via landmark more or less like the way birds do 
and my uh, my mum was like that because she, I'm like that. <laughs> she's um, she lost her short term memory, and I can remember the the period of time when she started to lose her memory, and that's um, traveling with her in a car became really difficult because she's she couldn't remember the landmarks anymore, and she had no real ability to put a map inside her head. Well, we're going to go to a song now. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. And not to blow my own trumpet too much of being a unique outsider, but I don't know of many people in their mid-twenties who listen to crooner songs from the mid-twentieth century, so I think it's pretty cool that I'm into it. And this is Nat King Cole with Nature Boy. There was a boy A very strange enchanted boy They say he wandered very far, very far Over land and sea A little shy And sad of But very wise was he And then one day A magic day he passed my way And while we spoke of many things Fools and kings This he said to me The greatest thing You'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. That was Nature Boy by Nat King Cole. So Riley, when did you first get a diagnosis of your condition? Well, it really wasn't until I was 22 and this had been something that had been happening for me for eight years, eight and a half years at that point. And the it's an interesting contrast with your um, brain injury because your issues are on the left side. Yeah, that's right. Primarily, and, and my um, my problems are on the right side. So what it is is uh, a reduced perfusion, which basically means reduced blood flow 
on that uh, side of my head, which I found to be very validating because that was the area where I'd experienced that feeling of uh, constraint and suffocation and pain. And so what it comes into with this diagnosis is a chronic migraine issue. And that was very validating for me because up until that point, I hadn't been able to actually get it addressed and acknowledged um, in in that way through having those actual brain scans and, and things that were done. Yeah, a bit of recognition can be nice and helpful. Yeah, it was life-changing for me because there were a number of years after it began when I didn't have anyone uh, externally to validate that there was something going on for me. It was kind of that old uh, dismissive notion of it's, it's just all in your imagination. And it wasn't until I got to high school, a different high school, and I cultivated a friendship with a couple of... Um, very fine young men who were able to um, understand what was going on for me. And one of the things that I was engaging in that was not helpful for me in, in those years was I was kind of beating my head against the wall with people who didn't understand it. And I was really trying to force my experience upon them and try to make them understand it. And that was, it was an immature sort of thing, and it, it ended up being a, a fruitless endeavor that I that I grew out of. Understandable, because you were a kid. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and looking back on it, I was trying to fit into a system that didn't really want to accept me. I remember going to see a psychiatrist that said to me that there's nothing in known science that operates the way that I was describing in terms of the environmental triggers for the headaches and so I was trying to fit into a more mainstream more materialistic model and what I've found in my present adult life and and moving forward I found more resonance and more of an ability to um, actually make sense of my situation within a spiritual context and so it's within that more spiritual and less materialistic approach that I'm finding a framework to to deal with this issue that actually reflects my own experience so that has been in a sense like like a feeling of coming home into something that's been missing and finding a community of other people who have uh, that similar worldview so it, it's been uh, really gratifying for me to to discover this my story, it's an interesting contrast to John's because whereas when he was a kid, his uh, difficulties went undiagnosed, unacknowledged. I was perhaps the other end of the spectrum. I was perhaps overly focused upon in terms of all my different deficits and disabilities. And uh, then when a problem came up for me that was really, really seriously impacting, it took many years before that was actually addressed and it wasn't until my um, my adult life that it was yeah so i think it's something we've both discovered is that um, people are very different and that's a great thing <laughs> diversity is a wonderful thing in life and you know normal people uh, or a normal person is an invention it's a fiction invented by advertisers and governments to deal with populations but in reality we're um we All should unique we are all unique and we should uh, celebrate our, um, our differences as well as our similarities. Well, we've reached the end of the show. John, Mark and I will be back in six weeks' time and 
We're really looking forward to it, aren't we, John? Yeah, man, it's been a hoot and we'll be back soon. You're listening to People Powered Radio, proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The Community Broadcasting Foundation resources community-owned and operated media stations just like this one that connect people and tell vital local stories so that we all enjoy a more vibrant, inclusive Australian culture and healthy democracy. Find out more about our work at cbf.com.au.